Hello and welcome to the Fossil Huntress podcast. Today we're going to be flying over to the UK to Southwest England and the Blue Leas Formation. The fossils of the Blue Leas Formation are world renowned. They've got amazing preservation and we see dinosaurs, some theropods, pterosaurs, the basal pterosaurs, wonderful ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs. The first ichthyosaur that was found in the Blue Leas was found by Joseph and Mary Anning, and they were avid collectors that you likely know. They lived in the Lyme Regis Dorset area and used to walk the coast and the beach looking for wonderful fossil specimens. The She Sells Seashells by the Seashore was written for Mary Anning, and there's a film that's just come out this year called Ammonite, which celebrates her life. And both her and her brother were very interested in the ichthyosaurs along the coast. And we're gonna explore some of her finds and how that fits into the history of the coast and with modern finds. We find ichthyosaur bones in the blue leas in various stages of articulation or disarticulation. So we find them as loose vertebrae on the beach where the sea has washed it clean and done all the lovely prep for you. Thank you, ocean. And we sometimes find concretions where there's disarticulated bones or isolated bones broken apart from one another in a jumble. And sometimes they'll be poking out and sometimes they need to be prepped rather lovingly all the way through to sort of what would be a look like an x-ray of the um, individual animals so we can see the full outline all the rib ends are articulated to the dorsal vertebra and everything matches up back in 2018 lewis winchester ellis found a wonderfully preserved partial ichthyosaur so the pieces that he found were from the tail section of the animal and the stomach contents. And it was interesting to find the stomach contents because it tells us a little bit more about how these mighty marine reptiles like to dine back in the Jurassic. When we took a look at the stomach contents of that particular ichthyosaur, we discovered that like most of his brethren, he liked to dine on fish and cephalopods. Um, his stomach had fish bones and squid tentacle hooklets in his belly. Uh, the hooklets were the only hard parts of the animal preserved because this ancient calamari was fully or partially digested before the ichthyosaur met his end. Ichthyosaurs, or fish lizards, ichthyos being fish and saurus meaning lizard, were large marine reptiles that thrived during much of the Mesozoic era. So we see them first arrive on the scene about 250 million years ago, and the last species survived to about 90 million years ago into the late Cretaceous. If you're listening to this, then you likely know exactly what an ichthyosaur is, but if you do not, picture a dolphin so ichthyosaurs ranged from about a meter to about 16 meters so picture a very large dolphin um, who are super sweet and adorable make the snout longer and then add big conical teeth that can catch smaller prey the very first fossil fragment so not the complete ichthyosaur that we credit Joseph and Mary Anning with, but just the little bits and pieces were found as fragments and disarticulated bone in Wales in 1699, so way back in the day. 
And then shortly thereafter, a fossil vertebra was published um, in 1708 from the lower Jurassic and first members of the ichthyosaurs. And to give that a bit of historical significance, this was the age of James Stewart, Jacobite and hopeful to the British throne. And while scientific journals of the day were publishing the first vertebra, uh, vertebrae from ichthyosaurs, he was avoiding the French fleet in the Firth Forth off Scotland. And this wasn't Bonnie Prince Charlie, this was his dad. So it's way far back. So as I mentioned earlier, the first complete specimen, so not the little bits and pieces, was found by Mary Anning and her brother Joseph along the Dorset coast. And this is early 19th century. Joseph had mistakenly, but quite reasonably, taken the find to be an ancient crocodile. And when Mary excavated the specimen and she drew some drawings of it, she realized it was something quite different. And she took the find to British surgeon, um, Sir Everard Holm. He was an elected fellow of the Royal Society. And who uh, he took the specimen and wrote it up. And that particular specimen is now on display at the Natural History Museum in London. But a few years later in 1821, William Coney Bear and Henry de la Beche, another friend of Mary's, published a paper describing three new species of unknown marine reptiles based on Anning's finds. A few years after that, Reverend William Buckland, in about 1837, would go on to describe two small ichthyosaurs from the Blue Leas of Lyme Regis, Ichthyosaurus communis and Ichthyosaurus intermedius. And it's remarkable that you'll recall that William Buckland was a um, geologist, paleontologist, and the Dean of Westminster. So that doesn't fit together in my world, but it certainly worked in the early 19th century. And it was Buckland who published the very first full account of a dinosaur in 1824, and he's the one that coined the name Megalosaurus. We have many people to thank, from Sir Richard Owen to William Buckland, for the knowledge that we have uh, about dinosaurs in the past, and Joseph and um, Mary Anning. But with the publication that Reverend William Buckland did, um, both his work in dinosaurs and marine reptiles, truly the age of dinosaurs and the age of the mighty marine reptile had begun. So while dinosaurs ruled the land, marine reptiles ruled the seas. And we found ichthyosaurs in the Blue Leas near Lyme Regis and the Black Van Marls. Um, specimens have been collected higher up in the sequence near Seatown. Patty Howe, who's the Lyme Regis Museum geologist, found a rather nice skull a few years back. There was a land slip in 2008 that unveiled some ribs poking out of the church cliffs. And a bit of digging revealed the ninth fossil skull ever to be found of a ichthyosaur breviceps with its teeth and paddles to boot. In more recent history, Dean Lomax and Sven Sachs, who are both active and delightful vertebrate paleontologists, have described a colossal beast, Shonisaurus 
Sinkinensis from the Upper Triassic or Norian Pardonate Formation of Northeastern British Columbia. And this baby is big. It's three and a half meters long. And if you want to see the specimen, it's on display at the Royal Tyrrell Museum of Paleontology in my sister province of Alberta. It was this discovery that tipped the balance in the vote, making it British Columbia's official fossil. So the province where I live is BC, and our official fossil is an ichthyosaur, and more specifically, Shonisaurus. Um, we found other ichthyosaurs in the province on Vancouver Island and the Queen Charlotte Islands, but it was Shoni who tipped the balance. While Canada boasts some beautiful specimens of Shonisaurus, the first specimens were found in the 1990s by Peter Langham at Doniford Bay on the Somerset coast of England. One of my very favorite, and sadly we've lost her um, paleontologist, she passed away from cancer, was Dr. Betsy Nichols, Rolex Laureate Vertebrate Paleontologist from the Royal Tyrrell Museum, again in Alberta, and she excavated the type specimen of Shonisaurus syncyanensis, and this was done over three seasons in one of the most ambitious fossil excavations ever ventured. So there were funding issues, there were access issues, there were weather issues. Um, it was a ton of work and she canvassed and she raised funds and she lobbied people and she bribed them to come out to do field work. And, um, and she was just a charming human being. So she was the one who actually excavated the type specimen. And I loved Betsy and she had great stories. Charmingly, she had a postal correspondence with Roy Chapman Andrews, who you may know, he's the former director of the American Museum of Natural History. So this is going back to the late 1950s as she was exploring what she was gonna be when she grew up and a potential career in paleontology. And if you've ever seen the American Museum of Natural History's sexy paleo photos of expeditions into the Gobi Desert in southern Mongolia, um, it, the, the man, the paleontologist in those photos is Roy Chapman Andrews. He was the lead on that trip and it, it was some of his photos that fueled my interest in paleo. So we've got beautiful specimens of the Shonisaurus ichthyosaur in Canada, in the Blue Leas Formation in the UK, and we also find Shoni in Triassic outcrops of the Lunning Formation in the Shoshan Mountains of Nevada. So at least 37 complete specimens have come out of here, and I got to go visit some of them last October. As time has moved on, we've found more specimens and we have a much uh, greater and more sophisticated way of looking at them, examining them, rendering them in 3D, prepping them. And if you remember that ichthyosaur that the good Reverend Buckland described back in 1837, the Ichthyosaurus communis, it was Dean Lomax who was the first to describe a wee baby, a wee baby ichthyosaur. And he, along with paleontologist Nigel Larkin, published this adorable first in the Journal of Historical Biology in 2018. Dean Lomax and Sven Sachs also published on an embryo from one of the largest ichthyosaurs known. It's a new species named Ichthyosaurus somersetensis. 
and it describes the third embryo known for an ichthyosaur and the first to be positively identified to species level. So this is a very cool find. It's from the lower Jurassic strata, the lower Hetangian in the Blue Leas formation. So we've learned a lot about them over time and we've seen them and collected them at a macro level as sort of disarticulated bones and bits and pieces and we're starting to scan them and put them through CT scanners and do renderings in 3D but we're also looking at them at a molecular level. So in 2018 Benjamin Kier and his team were able to study ichthyosaur remains looking at the cellular and molecular level and their findings suggest that ichthyosaurs not, didn't just have sort of a, a gross appearance similar to modern dolphins, but they also had skin and blubber quite similar to our modern dolphins. We now know that ichthyosaurs evolved from land-dwelling, lung-breathing reptiles, and then they returned to our ancient seas, where they evolved into the fish-shaped or dolphin-shaped creatures we find in the fossil record today. So once ichthyosaurs got into the ocean and stayed in the ocean, their flippers, their limbs became fully transformed into flippers. And it was their flippers that gave us the first clue that they gave birth to live young. And then later, um, we confirmed that with that first fossil embryo and the wee baby icky finds. So they thrive during the Mesozoic, and we see that uh, they're in the fossil record from 250 million years ago and survived up to about 90 million years ago. During the early Triassic, they evolved from a group of unidentified land reptiles that returned to the sea. So they were particularly abundant in the late Triassic and early Jurassic periods before being replaced as premier aquatic predator by another marine reptilian order, the Plesiosauria, which is kind of like the, the big bucket of marine reptiles we throw a, an awful lot of species into. So in the late Cretaceous, ichthyosaurs were hard hit by a, um, a time of low oxygen in the oceans and they found it difficult to survive and thrive. So bounty turned to scarcity and a race for survival began. And the ichthyosaurs lost that race as the last of their lineage became extinct. And we know an awful lot about them from various papers that have been uh, published. So um, Nathan Van Branken, uh, Sven Sachs, Dean Lomax, all standing on the shoulders of giants that go all the way back to William Buckland and those first complete finds that we found in the beautiful Blue Leas on the coast, on, in the Dorset coast of the UK. So I've got more, I've got much more to say about ichthyosaurs, but I'll stop it here. And I hope you guys are having a wonderful day and thank you for listening.